there's like this little tiny screaming Pomeranian in my brain that's going to just be <laughs> screaming and and until the project comes out. It's just like, right. <laughs> like the, whole, <laughs> the whole time. That's not a Pomeranian. No, that's, uh, oh. that, that's a sound I don't know that I want to hear again, but that's okay. It's oh, I want to hear it the again. Same. But, uh, but yeah. <laughs> wow. Let's talk. Let's talk. Let's talk. Let's talk. Misty Lee is magic. Really, she is. Misty has appeared on TV and comic books, and she's a frequent performer at Hollywood's Magic Castle. She was the subject of the mini-documentary, A Day with the Magician. So why are we talking to a magician on a podcast about voice acting? You see, Misty is also an incredibly successful voice actor. She's appeared in a ton of video games, including God of War 4, Star Wars Battlefront 1 and 2, Darksiders 3, World of Warcraft, and a whole ton of others. She's also voiced many cartoons, including DC Superhero Girls, Aggressive Retsko, and Ultimate Spider-Man. She's also the voice of the Magic Castle, the first woman and only third person to ever hold this position in the castle's 56-year history. Living the dream in Los Angeles, we get to find out how she is magically transforming her career. So let's talk voiceover, Misty Lee. Hey, BT, how you doing? <laughs> I love that. I absolutely love that. Hi, Randy. Hi, Misty. How are you? I'm good. I'm happy to be here. Excellent. How did you get into magic? And then how did you transform into voiceover? I don't think we've had one of you before. <laughs> well, I started in dentistry, so I would definitely say you've probably not had one of me before. Oh, well, that dentistry magic, come on, it's the same thing. It's all the same. It's well, all, you it's know, a... it is, be, although, uh, the didactic education aside, the fact that you're using your hands all day for art and science, they do actually braid quite well. So magic and dentistry, yes. And then when you get into the customer service aspect and the communications aspect of both transitioning into voiceover, there are skills that you can utilize across all three artistic mediums, if you will. Very cool. Yeah, I started out in dentistry when I was 16. I started out as a dental assistant because I was looking for a job. And I went and applied for a job. And the guy said, you are way too young. I cannot put your hands in people's mouths. And I said, okay, well, <laughs> if you're interested. Sure in I can. Yeah, yeah, right? <laughs> I said, if you're interested in hiring someone, there is a health occupations program at my high school. And I think that they could actually provide an intern and you could get some help for free. And the guy was like, what are you? Why are you helping me? You don't even know me. And I, and I left and I didn't get the job and I was bummed, but that was okay. And he called the counseling office at my high school and said, I had a girl here named Misty yesterday and I'd like to talk to her again. And the counselor said, I know exactly who that is. <laughs> and so she called me into her office and said, Dr. Shoha would like to offer you a job. And he said, I was still thinking about the fact that you were willing to help us for no return at all. And I think you'd be a valuable asset to our team. So you already had the foundations of being an actor working for free. Right. <laughs> 
<laughs> well, I've been on stage since I was three. You know, the the problem with being an actor who works for money is you love it so much that it's difficult to transition into being a business person. Right. And when you're the widget that you're offering for sale, even though you're not, it's your work and, and I get all of that. But it's really a totally different kind of service providing. You know, at the end of the day, you're not walking out with a crown that feels good and is going to last you 15 years. You're walking away with a performance in a video game. And that's it's a it's a different mindset business. It absolutely is. We talk about that all the time. And that's one of the things that differentiates, you know, people who people tell me I've got a great voice and I should be doing voiceover and blah, blah, blah. And how do I get started? It's a business. Mm hmm. It's a business first and foremost, and people need to understand that. And without that part, it's a hobby. 100%. And that's something that I've been in voiceover for oh, 10, 11 years now. And that's something that every single day I am trying to get disciplined enough to really get a handle on. And I don't feel like I'm very good at yet. I understand that people do business with people they like. And I've done some wonderful projects and I'm incredibly fortunate but at the same time, it's like, well, you know, I'd really like to do this. And who hires for that? And would this individual be interested in buying what I offer? You know, like a, a Nickelodeon Junior show. Do they need a mom character? Because that's kind of what I sound like. I'm probably not going to play the four-year-old kid. Yeah. And so getting a handle on who the buyers are and, and creating a relationship with them so that they trust you and know that you're not going to come in and pull your pants down and poo on the microphone, you know, or whatever. I mean, yeah, I don't know if a lot of people have that happen, but, you know. Okay, guilty. That, oh, uh, it there was it a is. long time there ago, it and it, it only happened once, ah, but, you know. Well, yeah, but once is enough to start a legend, sir. I, I did have to leave that city, yes. Yeah, well, you know, and, 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 it, and the stench follows you town to town. Oh, oh. But that's, a, that's kind of what I'm talking about. You know, if you go in there and you're polite and you don't make a ton of waves, but you bring it on the mic. And bringing it on the mic is uh, having a great voice is one thing. Being able to act is even more important. It's a whole different thing, and it is far more important. You're absolutely mm -hmm. right. And then being able to act from your chin to your chest, that's all you've got. You don't have props. You don't have, and, and sometimes you don't even have another person there unless you're working at ensemble, which is a rare luxury. And yeah. so when you have a great director like Randy, who is both, he's done both, and he's a musician, he can feel the cadence and he can help you. That is wonderful for performance. But then you also have to be inoffensive to your buyers and you also have to be careful what you say online and you have to be pleasant and congenial at every single touch because somebody that you may have met once as an assistant 10 years ago is now uh, literally uh, I met an assistant 10 years ago and really liked her a lot. And we hit it off really well. And she's now one of the casting directors at Nickelodeon. And if I was a jerk to her a bunch of years ago, she would remember just like I remember. It's a very small industry. Very small industry. Yeah, I remember people who are jerks to me. And yep. it's not necessarily that I have the energy to hold a grudge and really go after them. I'm really not interested in executing that. But if it comes down to now, you know, because I'm starting to executive produce projects, when I'm choosing a casting director and I see one of those names, I go, yeah, no. Mm -mm. Right. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. And that's as easy as it is. Right. Mm hmm. It's not about holding a grudge. It's not about getting even. It's mm -mm. just like, hey, no, there's there's plenty of talented people to work with. 
no need to do that. Exactly. So. You can, Absolutely. You can choose your people and work with your people. Yep. Because there are all kinds of people out there and people that are absolutely not for you are totally for someone else. And so there's, you know, you try people on like jackets and if it's not a perfect fit back on the rack, they go. Doesn't mean they're any less of a jacket. Ooh, that's an interesting analogy. What do you want to walk around in a coat that fits poorly and is uncomfortable? Why? I don't. I want to feel good. I want to look good. And I want to make <laughs> other people feel good and look good, too. There you go. So you've kind of thrown me a little bit. You've only been doing the VO acting for 10-ish years? Mm-hmm. Really? Mm-hmm. So was it just all magic before that? Well, it was dentistry. And then my husband and I got engaged in 2005, and I was living in Detroit. And he said, well, which one of us is going to move? And I said, well, I'm acting on the side here, and I'm doing magic on the side, because I was doing magic and dentistry in Detroit. I said, I think it makes more sense, since you're a writer on Lost, <laughs> for me to come to L.A. <laughs> than it does yeah. for you to move to Detroit. That's probably a good move. Yeah, you know, so, so I came out here, and he said, okay, well, if you're going to move across the country for me, because I had a dental job lined up out here, he said, if that's not your first love, you should not be doing that. Let me hold the reins financially for a couple of years while you get on your feet. And so I came out here and started taking classes and started doing magic right away. But, you know, I was a big fish in a small pond in Detroit. And then when you move to L.A., you're a tiny fish in an enormous pond where the big kids are playing. Yep. And so it took me a while to get prepared to compete. And after a while, I took some classes at Second City. I did a show, a magic show, and someone I love and trust, his name is Eddie Gorodetsky, he's a comedy writer and producer, said, you don't know who you are on stage and you need to go take some improv right now. And I said, that's very fair and I respect you and off I go. So I did a couple years at Second City and while I was on stage at Second City, I realized I was doing these wacky characters, which is more of a groundlings thing, you know, but... They kept pimping me into characters. It's like, oh, you're this drunk old lady, and you're this, and you're that, and you're that, and you're this. And I said, oh, wow, this is really fun. And someone said, why don't you try voiceover? You're pretty versatile. And I thought, why don't I? I don't have to hook up a trailer and coordinate the schedules of 10 people to go try voiceover. So I tried it. And Paul was working on Ultimate Spider-Man at the time. And he said, I can get you an audition because I didn't have an agent. He said, but I cannot get you a job. And he said, I do not want you walking in here thinking that I have that kind of pull because I don't. He said, there's a whole team of people. And I got called back for Aunt May. Mm -hmm. He did help me with the audition, which was an incredible gift. Sure, sure. sure. And I got called back for Aunt May and then booked it because I was the only actress that they called back that was scale, which someone at Marvel told me later. <laughs> Everybody else was double scale. And they were like, well, go with Misty Lee. She's cheap. <laughs> so, you know, that's how I got my first series job was by being cheap. That's not a bad way to get it. So in the space of about 45 seconds, you talked about improv, which we've been suggesting to people for a long time. And then it's like, and I got my job because I work cheap. Like, no, that's what you've been telling people not to do. <laughs> not to ah! do. No, but she was she scale, was still though. scale. Well, right. She was right, scale. Right. Scale. So, Union scale. I mean. Yeah. There's know, nothing wrong with that. That's not it's not cheap. How about we put it this way? Because I was less expensive than the other actresses they were there seeing. you go there, you, there go. you go i could tell you who they are but i don't i know who they are <laughs> right i've considered this vocation so incredibly liberating like i told you this morning when we were getting ready for this podcast today i was like camera will be off and you were like cameras are evil and i was like you are my people 
right? So, <laughs> I mean, I don't want to put on makeup. Like, come on. No, no. You know, some people well, require it. It's like, no, no camera. It's also not what we're doing here. You no, know? it's not. It's not. Other than the Second City thing, what was your background before voiceover? Because if you didn't even consider it until 10-ish years ago or 11 or whatever it is, you obviously had an acting background of some sort. Yeah. I, like I said, I've been on stage since I was three and, and it from a family that valued singing and performance. And so right. when I was coming up, I was going to school to be a dentist and my direct major was biology, but had a college scholarship for show choir. Oh, very cool. So it's like, well, why? Why don't you just respect the performing arts? And and at the time, I was just between 16 and 21. I was like, no, it's all science and performing arts is too easy. No, it isn't. No. And people that re- no. are really good at it or really, really enjoy it work incredibly hard at it, just like people who are passionate about science and developments are really good at that and work really hard at that. It's It all requires work. Yep. It, talent is a very small part of it. You know, I take several classes a month still to stay up on acting. I just took one with Dave Mitchell. Oh, yeah. And I'm taking another one this weekend with J.B. Blanc. And I listen to what other people say and what they're doing and try to stay up on techniques in our industry. And what can I improve at? I'm not that great, you know, at this. And I'd like to get better at it. Who's great at that? Well, Karen Strassman is great. I'll go study there. Right. So and that's the same as going back and doing PhD continuing education courses in psychology and finding out what the new developments are and finding out, hey, there's a new mic on the market and it's actually incredibly versatile and it's really good for low voices. That's good for me to know. Mm-hmm. What is it like right now to be broadcasting out of a pandemic? And do you need a booth? And and what are the requirements? What are other people doing? That stuff is all part of it. Yeah. Essentially, what you're saying, correct me if I'm wrong, your family was actually the opposite of what most people's family are, Mm -hmm. where it was, why are you doing this thing that you're doing just for money in a career when you could be doing this thing that you love? Mm -hmm. The conversation I had with somebody earlier today was how much pressure there is on most people that are creative to do the opposite. Oh, that's Mm -hmm. great that you're doing this acting thing or this music thing or whatever. It's cute. Yeah, it's cute. Yeah. So when are you getting a real job? Yeah. And what's ironic is I make more money and I'm definitely not loaded. And everybody that you talk to in this vocation will say, well, gosh, I wish I'd made more. I wish I worked more. But I make more money doing this than I ever did in dentistry Mm -hmm. in one year while putting in less effort, not having to manage overhead, not having to any of that stuff. And yet so many of those skills translate. Right. I think that people who find the performing arts, the word that I used earlier was cute, don't realize how strenuous it is. And people talk about facing constant rejection. The nice thing in voiceover is we kind of audition into a vacuum. And if you don't hear, you assume you're not going to hear the auditioning is the job. Right. If you don't hear, you didn't get the job. Yep. And so that rejection, it's like, oh, constant rejection. And then you have to hope that you're going to make it. No, you have to enjoy the audition process. I mean, Randy, you and I have talked about this instead of, oh, I have to. It's, yeah, I get to. I get to. Right. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. What are you What are you playing today? Oh, my gosh. I get to be a turkey. And then I get to be a 12-year-old. And then I get to be this this horrible monster that's oozing. You know, it's just like, that's a great day for me. And these are auditions that are coming through. And, and I... I have a great time with it and send it off and forget about it. I can only remember one audition in my career that I was really emotionally invested in and did not get. 
And it was like, oh, man, I really wanted that. But we were talking about Let's Go, which is a series on Netflix that I do this hippo. And she talks like this. She's real sweet. Patrick Seitz was casting it, and he sent out the breakdowns. And I was like, yeah, this sounds like she's going to be a pretty 20-year-old and this. And, you know, she's going to sound like that. You know, I'll try out for that because it's the series lead, of course. But wait a minute. And they sent the Japanese reference. And that's what the hippo sounded like. And I thought, oh, this freaking hippo right now is my life. Like, I want <laughs> to be this hippo. And I don't know how many other actresses in L.A. were like, oh, that hippo is the thing. I feel like most actresses would be like, oh, I'd like to be the cute little lead. No, give me the weird character. And I booked it. I was just like, oh, yes. And to me, it is the hippo show. That's what we call it around here. That's what we like. And she's like in, I don't know, one out of every 10 episodes or something. But I love her. And I'm so happy to be here. You know, and it's so funny. And so that was a total case of I get to, you know, like, oh, I probably should audition for this one and that one. And this one makes sense with my voice. Oh, oh, excuse me, this hippo thing. What's this? Hello, who's this now? You know, so and I think that and Randy, you could probably tell people better than I ever could. You can hear that, can't you? When an actor really identifies, not the desperation of, oh, my God, I have to book this because I need to pay my rent. Well, first of all, can you hear that? You hear great performance. And I don't know that I at least personally hear like, oh, my God, this actor really wants and gets this role. But you do hear desperation all the time and far more often than you want to hear. Really? Now, what are the triggers? Is it different for every actor? Like they come through and it's like... <gasps> You can, like, hear them breathing. Like, what is it? Um, I don't know. Try too hard. How? Yeah. How do you say that? It's like describe the smell of burning. You can't you can't describe it, but you know that something's burning. Well, you can actually kind of describe it. But let me put it a slightly different way. Think back to dating days. And when somebody was into you, regardless of what you might even think of them, in fact, it's even better if you think about the guys that maybe you just at first glance, you're like, oh, I'd like to talk to that person. And they come over and they talk to you. Please take me out. That comes out of them. <laughs> they never say that. They never mm -hmm. do it. But you can just kind of smell it. Yeah, yeah. And it's this huge turnoff. Cute guy. Yeah, no way. Uh, that's mm. the same thing that I will get on occasion. And I, I'm not alone in this by any stretch. It's not even close to the majority of what you get. But I would say in just about every casting, there's at least one or two of those. You can smell it. That's oh, the wow. word I always use. You can smell the desperation in there. And it's not because it's me or anybody else. It's because they just need the work or they want this role so badly. Mm -hmm. I don't know how you teach not to do that, but somewhere... You got to find a way to never do that. Mm -hmm. Have what I always call walkaway power. Have walkaway power. No matter what it is, no matter how great the gig is. It's like a dude wearing too much uh, Ralph Lauren polo cologne. Yeah. Dracar no. Noir. Yeah, Dracar or Pachuli. Ooh, yeah, or that's patchouli. the smell of desperation. Mm. <laughs> so back to bragging on Misty. I'm casting for G.I. Joe last year. Yep. And Misty does exactly what she's just saying. She auditioned for, I think there were only like three or four female roles. You may have auditioned for all of them. Misty kills all three of them. Yep. She ends up getting cast for Baroness. I call her up to tell her or email or whatever. And she says, oh my God, this is great. I really wanted that role. Like, really? Well, that's awesome. She's like, no, no, seriously. 
there have been three things that I have wanted to be in my life. Mm -hmm. And I have now been all three of them. Princess Leia, Baroness. Red Sonia. Red Sonia. Red Sonia. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah, those are the characters I used to play as when I was little. You are living the dream. Oh, you have no idea. Yeah, I could die now and I'm done. You know? <laughs> I could die now and owe a shitload of people a bunch of money. <laughs> <laughs> so now, from everything from that point on, after we recorded Baroness, after I didn't get recast and the game came out, because there's always a risk of that before release. <laughs> So, right, right, of course. You know, I mean, let's be realistic, you know. That was the same thing with Princess Leia. It was like, when I heard them, when I saw the trailer, I was like, oh, they kept me, they kept me, you know. <laughs> and I felt the same about Baroness when you sent that clip of her blowing a kiss. I was like, oh, it's still me. Oh, that's so great, <laughs> you know. But there's always a risk of them going a different direction, and then you just don't have any more sessions, and you don't know why. Yeah. Right? And you talk to the casting director, and they say, well, you know, you, they just went a different way, or they, they actually didn't like you. Or you said this. Uh, I've never had that said to me. You know? Right. But, Nobody would tell you that. You know, or you said something stupid online, or, you know, whatever. Oh, I was so delighted. Yeah. So everything from this point on in my life, total gravy. But see, what you didn't do was ever telegraphed that, not only in your performance, but to me, or even say anything about it. It was just like, no. that, it's the cool as a cucumber. Like, no matter how badly you want it, I'm doing my audition. I'm turning it in. Yeah. I'm walking away. Yeah. That's your job. Yep. That's your job. That, and I have been around long enough to know that that's my job. Like, Princess Leia was the same thing. They were very similar, although Baroness wasn't a voice match. Princess Leia was. Right. And they sent these files. There were, like, 40 voice match files. And I was like, oh, I'm not doing this. It's so much. Why do they need to hear all this? And they sent the Bosque one, like, relax. You are now free of the carbonite. And I'm like, what? What? They don't, they don't, what are you doing? You know? <laughs> right. Um, but I, I got all the voice match files, and I did, like, 20 of them. And I was like, wow, she's really close to me. She's just my regular voice at the front of my mouth with a little Mae West. Oh, okay. So it was like real easy. And I did like 20 of them. And I sent them to Nick, who was working at Atlas at the time. Mm -hmm. And I said, it's, this is a lot. Like, this has taken me a very long time to figure these out. I cut the voice ref up, and then I make 10 multiples, and I go in the booth, and I listen three times, and then I do it with them three times, and I keep doing it over and over until they kind of blend. Mm -hmm. Really to get Carrie's inflection and, and the head tilts and the things that you can hear in Leia, mm -hmm. it was a lot. And Nick called me, and he said, finish this. You've only sent me half of it. I said, I know, because it's a lot of work. And he said, finish it. And I was like, oh. so, <laughs> so I finished it. And I said, he's like, I'm not sending in half an audition, you arrogant turd. And I'm like, no, it's not arrogance. I'm just like, I'm not going to, I'm not going to book this, you know? So he called me about three weeks later and he said, I told you so. And I said, what? And he said, you're going to play Princess Leia. And I was like, really? And he said, yeah. Aren't you glad you finished that audition? <laughs> and I said, well, yeah. Nice. And again, this is your job. And you get to be Princess Leia for five minutes and you get to be Baroness for however long it takes you to really dig into that character and then play them. And in your audition, that's you as that character. That's your chance. That's your shot. And then you walk away and you played Baroness today. Yeah. The fact that that audition came into your inbox, those five minutes that I spent, obviously it took me a lot longer than five minutes to do the audition, but... But that was my shot. 
And that's all that you as an actor can really ask for is a chance. Right. And when you have that chance, you get that chance. You don't have to execute that chance. You don't have to turn in any auditions today. Or you can. And you can grab every opportunity and savor it and enjoy it. And that's exactly how Baroness was, because it was just like, oh, this is delicious. And look at these lines. And I can just see her doing this and spinning around and tipping his chin up and, you know, like putting her finger underneath his chin. And I could see all that stuff happening because I love that character and I've loved her for so long. And so when I got the call from you, I was just like, oh, oh my God. I think that's when I started freaking out. Right. Which is exactly what happened to me. It was halfway through the session, my first Battlefront 1 session as Leia, that I started hyperventilating. They put up a picture and it was like, good luck and may the force be with you was the line. And I was like, oh, oh, my God, I'm playing Princess Leia. And I freaked out in the middle of the session. I was like, and, you know, like you said, cool as a cucumber. Right. So I said, hey, um, can I have a minute? And I had the directors in my headphones and they said, yeah, yeah. And one of the directors clicked his audio open because he had been on mute. And I heard his little kid go, Daddy, I say I got to go poop. <laughs> and he said, I'm also going to need a minute. And it was like Carrie Fisher was like, you got this, kid. You're going to be all right. And all of a sudden I was OK because I was back at work again. Right. Right. So it, it was like it, it, the <laughs> for working in such an emotional medium. We have to be able to differentiate between ourselves and who we're playing in order to function. Because if you're really a monster and you're tearing open humans, you're going to have a really bad time at dinner when you're done. Right. <laughs> you're going right. to be tired and crabby and you're going to see the blood underneath your fingernails. So you have to be able to set that down and walk away. But was I desperate to book Baroness? No, I was really excited for the chance to play her that day. Right. And then when you called and you said, you get to play her in the video game, I was like, oh, my God. And then when, when we had the session, I was freaking out again. And we had the guys on the phone from the toy company and everything. Yep. And I was just like, oh. And they were like, no, no, you sound really great. And I was like, I do? Is it okay? Do you want me to take it like 50 more times? Because I could do it again like 50 times. Please don't recast me. Oh, God. That's what I was thinking. <laughs> but, but it came out as, you want to hear it a couple different ways? <laughs> Right, right. The, That's funny. In my brain, it was like, oh, please don't hire someone else. I really want to play her. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, don't do that. Don't do that. But the, it's their prerogative. And if that's what they choose to do, that's OK. I mean, well, yeah, mm -hmm. we, we all serve at their privilege on that. 100 percent. And we're all there to do a job. And if I jumped on the microphone and was like, oh, my God, you guys, I'm really excited to be here. And, and, and then I couldn't step into Baroness. They right. would be like, she was a lot. I don't think I want another session with her. Right. You know what I mean? Like, don't. Yep. It's like, don't get that on me. Right. No more Dracar. Yeah, no more Dracar. No <laughs> Dracar Noir. See, we're coming up with all kinds of titles for this. There you go. When did you make the leap that voice acting, that is the thing I'm doing? I am still making that decision every single day based on the way that the waters flow. Voice acting has allowed me to stay a magician. Magic is the most expensive mistress. And... In order to be a magician, you kind of have to pay to play, and it's tough to get it to pay you back. Right. And I've done a lot, have innovated a lot, have worked with the best in the business, and I love and respect all of them. 
And I love and respect the skill and the amount of technical adeptness that it takes to execute things well and all the steps that go into it. And I've learned an awful lot and I'm not necessarily giving up forever, but I've stopped paying to play. Because when you're developing an act, you have to develop and produce it. And you don't know who's going to buy it, if anybody. Sure. And so you're kind of acting in faith, almost like auditioning, but at least auditioning, you know there's a job. But for magic, it costs money to do that when you're, in a, when you're a stage illusionist. If you're working on card tricks, not so much. But that's not what I love. I had a show choir scholarship. I love being on the stage in front of a minimum of 50 to 100 people. I understand creating good art just because you need to see it out there or you need to get it out of your system, which is why I did the straitjacket escape for Domestic Violence Awareness Month, which is a laugh riot. The girl gets put into a straitjacket and gets the snot beat out of her. (laughs) (laughs) We got to see that one. That's great. Hilarious. Yeah, if you want to see it, it's Misty Lee Escape on YouTube. You can find it. Um, Perfect. You know, but it was like that I had to get out of me. I haven't been compelled that way by magic in a really long time. Going back to your original question, every day, the way the water flows, and when I get inspired again to create magic art, I will. But right now, I ain't missing it. So cartoons or video games, what do you love more? Uh, They're completely different. So I love them for different reasons. Uh. I love them the same, but differently. They kind of bleed into each other sure. because cartoons now are getting very realistic. So they're a different style of acting. I love the residuals on cartoons. <laughs> well, there you go. That's something to be said for that. Uh-huh. Since you started out in music, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What did you sing, play, or do musically? The very first time I was ever on stage, I had a grandfather who was a singer, and mm-hmm. my grandmother was a fan. She really loved to hear people she loved perform. Mm -hmm. And so they threw me on stage the very first time when I was three years old at their German club in a talent show. Mm -hmm. And they taught me the song, I Believe in Santa Claus. My aunt worked with me and she played the little organ. And I got up there and I remember they lifted me up and they put me on a chair because that was how tall the microphone was. And I sang a cappella. And my aunt taught me to, like, you know, shake my little finger. And I, and I just did it. You know, I did what she told me to do. And I took her direction because <laughs> right. that's your job. And I won a teddy bear. Ah. And I, I got second place. And I won a teddy bear. I don't know who got first. I should go back and destroy them. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't know what they got because I really liked my teddy bear. I remember it had a red ribbon on it that said, like, second place or whatever. But that was nice. You know, the very first time you're ever on stage, you get an award. There were probably only two kids that sang. You know? <laughs> I don't know. And they were like, well, honorable mention to the three-year-old who waggled her finger at us. But, <laughs> <you> um, <laughs> but the whole family would sing, my grandfather especially. He was always singing somewhere. And so that was a very normal part of life. Mm-hmm. Then when I got into fifth grade, I picked up the flute because you kind of, you know, band was an elective. Now you pick up something, right? So I picked up the flute. I really wanted to play piccolo. And he said, we have to learn the flute first because it's similar, but it's more important that you learn this now. And also this is cheaper. (laughs) And I said, oh, okay. So I kept that for a while and then started to really sing. I remember in sixth grade, our Mrs. Wasselina was our music teacher. And she was placing us as altos or sopranos for a song that we were all going to sing. And we had to stand up individually And I sang, and she turned around and looked at me and said, I didn't know you could sing like that. And I said, like what? 
<laughs> and she was like, mm. and that was the first time that I was told not everybody could do that. Mm-hmm. And I was like, really? I feel like everybody can do that. She's like, no, not like that. And then when I got into seventh grade, I had another teacher, Mary Ahrens, who really heard it and and fostered that and said, no, you are a performer. And she did the show choir stuff. And that was where I fell in love with it at 12. And so I stuck with it all the way up through junior high school. In high school, there was choir. Yep. At the age of 12, I loved that show choir stuff. And this group called the Macombers came through and they were from Macomb County. And I really wanted to be a Macomber. And I didn't think about going to Western Michigan University and getting a scholarship there or any community college. That was where I really wanted to be because I wanted to be a Macomber from the first time I saw them. And I was. What I learned in the Macombers, there were four people in our Macombers troupe that for as decent as I thought I was, there's no room for prima donnas here because this one's an expert. That one's a sight reader. This one is really good at instrumentation. And, you know, and it was just like, oh, we all do a thing and I'm the personality. Mm. Got it. Because you know, like, I couldn't sing as well as Dina and I couldn't sight read as well as Billy and I couldn't, you know what I mean? So yeah. it was mm-hmm. like, yeah. you, you find your place in an ensemble and I was always the character actor. I thought I could sing well. Dr. Scott showed me that I could sing well enough, Mm. but there are people that are better. And so I think that that, (laughs) some of the best advice I ever got in my life was from my friend Sylvia. And her piece of advice was, fuck you. You're just not that important, okay? (laughs) (laughs) And that, since she said that to me, (laughs) that has stuck with me for 20 years And I just went, yeah, I'm really not. And so there's always someone better. So you're lucky to have this. And I think that going back to that sense of desperation, I don't take with me. I need to act. Right. I take with me. I get to act. And I get to play this role again. Or I get to play this role for five minutes. Or I have a chance to what? And that gratitude, because I was shown so early that I'm just not the best at anything. None of us really are. And I'm... Just not that important. Thank you, Dr. Von Kluge. It's really good to know. So we're just here to share and make each other's lives easier. Please, before we go, just tell me one time, fuck you, you're really not that important. Just. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) I I swear to God, that is the best, the best advice that I have ever received in my life. Things happen to you, especially in the entertainment industry. People build you up. People tear you down. People do this. People do that. Because it doesn't just apply to me. It applies to everybody. You know, and when somebody comes in and they're like, you don't get to talk to me like that. I'm like, fuck you. You're not that important. We're just here to do a job. (laughs) And I don't ever verbalize that. But my God, it's right in the forefront. (laughs) Right. But if if I'm not that important, then they're not that important. Then he's not that important. Then she's not that important. We're all just lucky to be here making this thing. And so can we just have a little fun? Please. Right. Why you got to be abusive? You don't got to do that. And in addition to that, and I've worked with very few, very few, I would say like maybe two abusive people in my 10 years because the voiceover industry is filled with amazing human beings who are happy to be here because we know how silly it is to get paid for this stuff. I don't work with them anymore. Right. And I go, yeah, you know what? Like I had a session at a major studio and was recast. And I, I mean, I got recast four times last November and I was like, what is even happening? Am I shit at this? 
like, what's going on? And it's like, hey, you just say all at once, you know, boom, 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 boom. Okay. Yeah. And one of them felt like a real slam dunk, right? And I was excited about it. And I was looking forward to like the potential PR. And I went in and the session was weird. And it should have been super easy, but it was weird. Mm -hmm. And I left going, well, I mean, I think it went okay. But I don't know. Uh, and then I found out I got recast. Uh, and, and I'm close enough to call one of the people involved. And I said, what happened? I'm not calling it be weird about it. I just want to know what happened. Right. And the individual that I called, and I won't even give a pronoun because I don't even want it to get traced back, said, sure, sure. I firmly believe that you were sabotaged. Hmm. I firmly believe that the individual who directed you that day went above to the suits and said, I do not like this vocal quality. And recast me with someone who sounds a hell of a lot like me. Interesting. And snow globes shake up and things settle differently. Mm -hmm. But I don't really know these people. I've never done anything to them, but they are a bad fit. Mm -hmm. So that studio right now, I ask when auditions come through, I'm like, hey, I'm seeing this is from there. Who is the director? Mm -hmm. And when I find out that it's X or Y, I go, you know, maybe not for me. Right. Not this one. Right. And then later on... Those individuals snow globe shake up. They may move to another studio or they may stop working or retire or whatever. And a new person will come in and that person may be absolutely my people. Right. But right yeah. now I reserve my energy for those who deserve it. But also know, A, I'm not that important. They were able to recast and get another voice that sounded very similar to me. Right. And also they're not either. And if it is personal, that's weird. I don't even really know them. And if it's not personal... Well, then it's not personal, and we just need to move on and go where the people are our people. Right. Boy, that's great advice. Because that was pretty heartbreaking. It was like, oh, my God, what did I do? Oh, yeah. And the person I called on the phone said, nothing. When you left that day, I said, wow, that session was kind of fucked. Mm. And I don't know why the director did that. Mm -hmm. And I said, are you serious? Because if, if I misbehaved or I offended somebody or did a bad job in the booth and there are things that I need to work on. Right. Please let me know. Right. That's why I was really calling is to say, I didn't like the way this felt. How do I stop this from happening again? Yep. And the person that I called said, mm, I don't think there's anything you could have done. Right. I think that the deck was stacked against you walking in. Or the one of the other actor in there and mm -hmm. somebody else had made a different decision. And so they were going to yes. sabotage you. So they were going to prove mm -hmm. that they were right. Yeah. 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 Which is exactly what I was told. Yeah. Which has nothing to do with you. Yep. And that happens more than we would like it to. That's for sure. Yeah. But so. I, I mean, the bottom line is, what are you going to do about it at the end of the day? You know, you're not that important. And what action steps are you going to take? And so yeah. what action steps did I take? I immediately started taking classes like that month. Mm -hmm. And I hadn't taken a class in like a year or two. And I've taken like eight since then. And I thought, well, I'm going to make sure that I'm competitive or at least confident that I'm competitive in this field. Because if this individual did not like my work, when I come back, if I ever have another opportunity or a mulligan... Mm -hmm. I'm going to blow some hair back. Right. Right. Yeah. At, or yeah. at least feel good no matter what happens, because right. my armor shouldn't be that thin. It shouldn't be that easy to make me feel bad. And I right. really did feel bad about that. I was just like, oh, man, this is devastating. And I thought, yeah, it is devastating. But it's also really illustrative that that's not your people. OK. All this kind of ties together because in the same way that you say, fuck you, you're not important. And this is the hard part. You also have to take an experience like that and put that in that same bucket. It's just a thing. It's just something that happened. 
it's really hard because if you know that you nail a roll or that something went awry and it wasn't you, but ultimately it cost you, those sting. Mm -hmm. Way easier said than done. I realize that as I say it. 100%. You have to let those go. You have to not attribute anything to it. Mm -hmm. And it's like I said, action steps are the only way I can deal with that. Because if I don't keep my brain busy, it will get busy itself, start eating itself. Right. And that's the kind of stuff I take with me for all the success and all the other wonderful things that happen. I can hearken back and say, yeah, but that one time and that one person just does not like me and I don't know why. And it's like, well, because that person's not your people. Focus on the people who are your people. Look where you are right now. You're spending an afternoon with Randy and Brian, and this is really fun. And these are your people. And this is a good place for you. So why don't we spend more time in the good places and less time in the bad? You have to hurt to know. That's the way it works. Pain Hmm. teaches us. Wow. Hmm. So it's like, yeah, that stung. Yep. Did you do anything? Could you fix it? Like, is there anything that you can take away from that that's educational? Why were you there? Because Mm -hmm. we have painful experiences to teach us. And it's like, okay, well, what did I learn? What I learned is sometimes things are just out of our control. Yeah. And we walk away and we make it better and we learn what we were supposed to learn. And we value all experiences, good and bad. It also creates an an amazing appreciation for the work that you do have. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. And the opportunities and even just the opportunity to audition for something really cool. You may never hear back on them, but boy, it just it made your day that you were invited. Well, that's exactly what I was talking about earlier. For five minutes, you get to be Baroness. Yeah. And like you have that part. When you're auditioning, you're playing that role. You got to do that today. And so when you turn that audition in, you've done it. It's gone. It's over. And so you don't go, oh, man, I really want more. Oh, y'all got any more of that baroness? You know, like you you get to appreciate. (laughs) I know Dave Chappelle, but you (laughs) you get to appreciate it again if it comes back. And then the focus becomes on enjoying the work that you have as opposed to only enjoying what may come down the pike. It's a huge perspective shift as an actor. It is. And when the prize is the chance, then the other stuff is gravy. Right. Yep. Yeah. And so it's an incredible, incredible vocation full of opportunity for all of us. And I was told by a casting director a couple weeks ago that hundreds of people audition. And Randy, you can attest to this for each role unless they do a small invitation only pool Mm -hmm. and they're listening. And it's like, oh, okay, 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 okay. Whoa. And when an actor books something, the likelihood of booking something is so low. Yeah. That the gratitude should be so high. High. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And so if you can instill that gratitude into the audition process, you won't sound as desperate. You'll sound joyful. Right. Or incredibly connected. If it's a difficult, more dramatic, less joyful role, you'll be 100 percent present because this is when you play that monster. This is when you're playing Destro. You're Destro right now. Yeah. It's not, oh, gee, it would be great to be Destro. No, no. You are Destro right now. Yeah. Right. What a great day. Yeah. Even on, quote unquote, this side of the glass, that's true. If somebody really embraces a role and has fun with it and has, to use your words, that gratitude coming through, they may not get that role, but they probably get on your radar Mm -hmm. in some way. Like, you know what? Misty didn't book this one. 
I'm going to make sure she gets in the next round of auditions because I really liked what she did. That's the other side of it. And that's part of that whole chance. That's how you keep getting those shots, because who knows what things go into casting. The number of times that I actually get to make the call on casting is ridiculously low. I do get input. Mm -hmm. The projects where I actually have full reign are usually not the big projects. There are all kinds of people who have a stake in there. Mm -hmm. And it's great if I get valued enough to throw my two cents in. But sometimes I don't even do that. Sometimes my input is who I ask to audition. Mm -hmm. And that's a big deal. But yeah. that's all the input that I get. What you don't want is, oh, my God, why did they choose that person? Oh, no, that's the control that I have. But outside of that, I don't. Sometimes you get somebody that gets on your radar. And a lot of times it is because there's just something about how much they are enjoying this particular piece. Mm -hmm. And in the same way that you talk about desperation, I can't tell you specifically how you know, but you know. Mm -hmm. Yep. You know it when you smell it. Yeah, you do. You do. <laughs> yeah. Dracar Noir. Yeah. <laughs> and that's a much better smell. Yeah. Well, and it's it's that connection. It's patchouli. It's better. <laughs> Ew. No, no, yeah, no, patchouli is not better. No. <laughs> yeah, no, 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 no. <laughs> And patchouli always smelled like topsoil to me. I don't know. <laughs> I, I don't mind it. You know, it's natural, you know, or whatever. But Even though we've just said this, to me, patchouli back in the club days was always, I said, it's sweat and desperation. There you go. That, actually is, what I, that actually is what I called patchouli. It's sweat and desperation. Perfect. No Dracar Noir and no patchouli in your auditions. I don't want to smell it. Don't get it on me. Yeah. There you go. I would much rather smell the Dracar, to be honest. Keep that out of my ears. <laughs> yeah. You don't want to walk around with ears that smell like patchouli. It's at, you probably, well, Randy, you might, because we were talking about you wearing makeup earlier, but uh, there's mascara. <laughs> Lancome Stop makes it. a mascara. Stop talking about my makeup. Like, here, here comes all your personal stuff, everybody. Um, that smells like roses. And I thought, who in the hell? <laughs> Needs an eyelash that smells like a rose. Why are we scenting mascara? What are you even doing with your life? And I won't buy it. Or maybe it's Dior. I don't know. Whatever. It's extremely expensive. And it works mediocrely. And it's like that philosopher, good enough, mediocrities. But um, <laughs> it's like, I don't need an eyeball that smells like a rose. No. It made me mad. I'm really mad at it. I think that's the perfect final analogy. <laughs> why Why didn't you get cast? Because I didn't need an eyeball that smelt like a rose. Right? See? There you go. Right? There you go. Who needs an eyeball that smells like a rose? Smells like a rose. You need an eyeball that can see. And if you're going on eyelashes, you need them to protect your eyes. And if you want them for beauty, then you need them to be long and voluminous. Scented, not a requirement. Not a requirement, no. Don't bring that shit in here. Because <laughs> you ain't that fucking important. You're not that fucking important. It was, it was, fuck you. You're just not that important. Unbelievable. The best oh, advice of my man. whole career. And it really puts it all in perspective, doesn't it? This has been gold. Are you kidding? This is fabulous. Uh, is it, though? I'm just not that important, okay? I'm just not I'm that just important, I'm just doing my job. So. And it's both liberating and devastating. Right. But it has informed me for 20 years. Yeah. yeah. No, actually, is, yeah. it is awesome advice. It is. Mm -hmm. It sure is. It's like my grandmother. When you would go out, she said, I only have one rule. No evidence. <laughs> and that sounds so liberating. But when you really think about it. You, I mean, like from the sexy perspective, from a 12 year old, it's like no hickeys, no pregnancies, no nothing. That's all evidence. Right. No police at the front door. That's evidence. 
You can't come home with red eyes or anything like that from drugs. That's evidence. I smell mm-hmm. alcohol on your breath. That's evidence. It's incredibly restricting for doing bad vice things. Yeah, true. So for her to say that to a 13 to 16 year old kid, I only have one rule. No evidence. You come home after curfew. That's evidence. Yeah. It's like shit. <laughs> you can't do anything. Damn it, Grandma. Damn it. Right? Can't even buy something and bring it home. God. Uh, But you do learn where to bury the body. Well, and also you put endangered plants on top of it so they can't dig it up. It's illegal. See? (laughs) And have it guarded by a Canada goose. Follow me for more gardening tips. I was going to say, this Jimmy Hoffa moment brought to you by our native Detroiter. Yeah! Yeah, he's in the cornerstone of a cement building. Come on now. There you go. Perfect. Oh, Misty, it's been awesome spending time with you. Thank you so much. Oh, I love you both. Thank you so much. This has been an absolute blast. So, Randall. Brian Talbot. Misty Lee. Brian Talbot. Randall Ryan. You guys are awesome. Thank you so much for having me on. And Misty's so lovely doing this. Thanks much. What, What a blast. Until next time. How do you not just absolutely adore Misty Lee? I do, and hopefully by now, you do too. If you do want to get a hold of Misty Lee, you can reach her on her website, mistyleevo.com. That's mistyleevo.com. Let's Talk VoiceOver is hosted by Randy Ryan, owner of Hamsterball Studios, delivering the world's best talent virtually anywhere. And me, Brian Talbot, actor and all-around creative guy. If you have comments, questions, ideas for other show topics you'd be interested in hearing, or you just want to let us know what you think, reach us by sending an email to bt at letstalkvoiceover.com or go to our website, the world-famous www.letstalkvoiceover.com. Subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, Play, or wherever you go get podcasts. Spotify. Yeah, that one too. And follow us on Facebook or Twitter. Or don't. You know, you're busy. I get it. If you like what we're doing, share it with a friend. Why the hell not? Anyway, thanks for listening to Let's Talk VoiceOver. We'll talk again real soon.